Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion, he is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God, say it with me now, is holy. All right. So we've come to worship this holy God, this holy God who reveals himself to us, to the scriptures, to the church. We've come to worship him today. Uh, let's do that together. But first, let's pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
Now's the time in our service where we uh, take communion together. Uh, you should have uh, those little, little what do you call those things? Little packets with um, with juice and a wafer in it. So uh, I'm going to talk. Uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter uh, 22 to talk about why we do this. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, the scriptures say, "When the hour had come, 
he, talking about Jesus, and the 12 apostles with him sat down. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat, eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took, a, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So the words, do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember when we take communion? Well, we remember what the Lord Jesus suffered for us, that he suffered and died for our sins. And because of what we had done, the Lord did what he did so that we could be reconciled to the Father. We also remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the death of the Lord Jesus means absolutely nothing. But because the Lord Jesus was resurrected, we know that through him we can be reconciled to God. That's what we remember when we celebrate communion together. There's a place where Paul talks about communion and he says people who take it unworthily are eating and drinking judgment on themselves because we're, and then we're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So although communion is a celebration, it's also something that we should take very seriously. So according to the scriptures, we hold the, the body and blood of the Lord in our hands when we take communion. We should see it that way. And we should, if there are things in our lives that are not in line with God's will, things that we're doing to break the covenant that we've made with God through the blood of Jesus, if we're doing those things, we need to examine ourselves right now and ask the Lord to forgive us for the things that we've done. And what do the scriptures say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So communion is a celebration so we can come to receive the body and blood of the Lord to receive strength to go on in our walk with the Lord, to get rid of things in our lives that are not in line with God's will. Think about that as we take communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you so much for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to come to this earth, become a man, unite our nature with his nature so that he could bring us back into communion with you. And Lord, we pray as we take this communion today, that you help us to see it for what it is, the body and blood of the Lord, and help us to, if there are things in our lives that should not be there, show them to us and give us the grace to turn from those things and to live out your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, in the foyer, underneath the TV, uh, there are plastic bins. One is for any Matthew 25 ministry pill bottle donations. The second one is for used ink cartridges. You can bring them in, and they do reduce the um, cost of any office supplies here for the church. Food pantry closed closet is every Thursday, 5 to 7. Everything's completely free for community members. They don't even have to be a Goshen community member. They can come from anywhere. If you know someone in need, we are here to help supply not just food and clothes, but we, we, we do offer prayer to people. We invite them to church. Um, we let them know about our personal lives so that we can build relationships with them. Refit is free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions about that, you can contact Kristen. She's actually in the back today. <laughs> Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of the month at 2 p.m. Um, so we have service because it happens to be on Sundays. We have service. We have a lunch together to kind of fellowship, and then we go over at 2 o'clock. Um, it is in Goshen, and there's a sign-up at the welcome desk just outside the doors. Breakfast is better when we eat together, so it's a breakfast fellowship the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Um, if you're interested in bringing something, you can talk to Carol. Otherwise, just show up. Empty Nester's Bible study, um, reading the book Ten Words to Live By, uh, based on the Ten Commandments. It's every Thursday at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. So there's a lot of opportunities for fellowship and to get to know each other. So if you haven't met someone new, I encourage you to change seats the next time you come in. Be brave and do that. Meet somebody new. Um, Area Christian Women's Fellowship Dinner is Thursday, October 20th at 6.30. Um, we will be meeting here at the church, um, and we'll get with whoever signed up um, because we're going to carpool. Making S'more Memories. So Goshen Community Family S'mores Night is going to be held here at the church outside, 6.30 to 8 o'clock on Sunday, October 16th. Um, so we're looking to have a large group. Um, we're asking that people get registered so we make sure we have enough supplies for everyone. But um, everyone is welcome. If you want to come, bring some family, bring some friends. Um, we're looking to make S'more Memories. Ties and offerings can be given in person or given online at the website there. Weekly budget is listed here, and this is just um, a sample of some of the ministries that you support through giving here at Heartland. Um, lastly, I will say we do have food and fellowship night tonight. Um, we have been doing this um, for a couple months now, every other Wednesday um, at our home. And um, so we're going to start doing this since the time change. And with winter, we're going to do it once a month. So it's going to be tonight, 5 to 7. You, anybody is welcome to come get to know each other. Food always brings people together. So bring something or bring yourself. Thank you. All right. So today we're going to continue our series in Colossians. So let's turn together in our Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 5 through 8, Colossians 2, 5 through 8. When you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is The Importance of Apostolic Tradition. Colossians 2, 5 through 9, the Scriptures say, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. How important is apostolic tradition in the church? How important is apostolic tradition for our salvation? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I would answer those questions, but I don't know what apostolic tradition is. So today we're going to talk about what apostolic tradition is, and we're going to see why it's so important in the church and for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask you to open our eyes to see the truth, open our ears to hear the truth, open our hearts to believe the truth, and give us grace to obey the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul starts this passage using military language to describe the saints in Colossae. Paul has inspected the troops and found them living disciplined lives. They're ready for battle in the good fight of the faith. And what's very interesting is how Paul knew that they were ready for battle. In Colossians 2.5, Paul says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, the NIV does not translate the word the there, but it's in the Greek, so it's the spirit he's talking about. But how was Paul present with them in the spirit? And how could Paul see in the spirit how disciplined they were? Does Paul mean that the Holy Spirit gave him some kind of window to see into the lives of the saints in Colossae? Honestly, I have absolutely no clue how this works. I have absolutely no clue what Paul meant. But this is what Paul says. So I'm just going to take his word for it. Somehow in the spirit, Paul was present with them and saw that the saints in Colossae were ready for battle. And that's what Paul means when he says he's delighted to see how disciplined they are. The Greek word behind the word disciplined is a military term. Paul praises the saints in Colossae because every person knows their rank. Every person knows their role. So they're ready. They're standing in fighting formation, standing firm in their their faith in Christ. They stood together and stood against false teaching about Jesus, and they were standing firm in and holding tight to the faith as it was passed down to them. Paul goes on in Colossians 2, 6 through 7 to talk about the faith they had received. Paul says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. The Greek word behind the word received here expresses the idea of being formally taught and accepting traditions that are handed down from an authoritative source. And Paul's talking about the traditions they had received about Christ. Paul also calls these traditions the faith they were taught and the true gospel, the true message of the gospel that had come to them. In Acts 2.42, Luke calls these traditions the apostles' teaching. All those phrases, the faith, The gospel and the apostles' teaching are different ways of talking about the same thing, different ways of talking about the apostolic tradition. Now, let's talk about tradition for a minute. I think most of the Christian world world has the idea that all traditions are bad. We treat the word tradition like a cuss word. And anyone who talks about tradition is dismissed as a legalistic Pharisee. We've got to understand there are good traditions and bad traditions. There are traditions we must follow and traditions we must not follow. Jesus talks about bad traditions in Mark 7, 8 through 9. He says to the religious leaders of his day, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have 
a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Now, so many people talk as if the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day, were these really righteous people who were sticklers for obeying God's commands. But when we read through the Gospels, we see that's just not true. In fact, it was just the opposite. Now, the leaders should have been righteous men who obeyed God's commands and taught God's people how to obey God's commands. Instead, they did everything that they could to sidestep God's commands so they could keep their own traditions. But Jesus goes on in Mark 7, 10 through 13 to give an example of one of these traditions. Jesus says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So Jesus starts out by talking about what Moses had said. And this is God's command through Moses. And God's command through Moses is to honor your father and your mother. One way to do that is by supporting your parents financially in their old age. But the religious leaders had a human tradition that would allow a person to sidestep that command completely. So the religious leader said, if you say my money or my property is devoted to God, see that statement means that that's, that then becomes set apart to God and you're no longer obligated to use your things to support your parents. So you can keep it, but you say, ah, this is devoted to God. I can't give this to anybody else. See, that was a bad tradition, a human tradition that set aside God's clear commands. And that tradition nullified God's word. This is the same kind of tradition Paul talks about in Colossians 2.8 when he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, false teachers were bringing bad teaching into the church. Empty and deceptive philosophies that were based on human traditions. Those types of traditions are always bad, and they should always be avoided by God's people. Anything that, that's added to the gospel of the kingdom that contradicts God's clear commands or nullifies God's word should be rejected as human traditions. But the answer for bad traditions is not to get rid of all traditions. You know, we all have traditions. We're always going to have traditions. We need traditions. So the answer is not to get rid of all traditions. There are other types of traditions, good traditions, Traditions that God put in place in the church for his people to learn and follow so that we can be sure we're living in line with God's will. And these are called the apostolic tradition. Paul talks about these traditions in 1 Corinthians eleven two. He says, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I deliver them to you. The word traditions is from a Greek word that means a specific set of teachings and practices handed down from authoritative teachers. The phrase delivered them is from a Greek word that means to formally give or hand down authoritative teaching. Now, we could literally translate Paul's Greek with the, with, with the following words, if you could use the word tradition. Here's what we would say. I praise you for holding fast to the traditions just as I traditioned them to you. 
since tradition is not a word in English, we can't really translate it that way, but he's talking about traditions that are being handed down in the church to God's people. To the Christian, faith is a specific set of traditions, authoritative teachings and practices that were handed down by Jesus to the apostles of Jesus. Jesus then gave the apostles the authority to deliver or hand down those teachings and practices to others in the church. And through receiving and holding to these traditions, we receive Christ Jesus as Lord and live a life that pleases God. Paul says more about these traditions in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Now notice the phrase here, hold to the traditions. It's the same phrase Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11. So Paul was always encouraging the saints to hold, hold on to the apostolic traditions they were taught. And here we see apostolic traditions came in two forms to the church. They were, there were oral traditions, traditions that were spoken by the apostles but not written down. And there were written traditions, traditions that the apostles or others wrote down that became the New Testament scriptures. Both forms of apostolic tradition are equally valid and equally important. And both were passed down in the church by the apostles and became known as the faith. So what is apostolic tradition? Well, apostolic tradition is the authoritative teaching and practices of the apostles that were delivered to them by Jesus. The apostles then delivered that tradition in both written and oral forms to the church. And that's, what we get, that's where we get the term apostolic tradition. Now, let me show you an example of apostolic tradition and how it was delivered or handed down to the church. In, Colossians, or sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, Paul says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, notice here the language of receiving the faith and passing on the faith. Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And you received it from me through the gospel or through the word I preached to you. So what did Paul receive? Well, Paul received apostolic tradition, clear and concise teachings about the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then Christ appeared first to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, then to Paul. See, this is the official authoritative teaching about the death burial, and literal bodily resurrection of Jesus that the apostles handed down, delivered, and deposited in the church. And anyone who veers away from this tradition about Jesus is no longer standing firm in the only faith that can save them. Notice Paul's strong words in 1 Corinthians 15 too. He says, 
By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you'll believe in vain. Paul says you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. So what word did Paul preach to them? Paul preached the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the apostolic tradition about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's by accepting and holding to that tradition that a person is saved. And that leads us into answering this question. Why is apostolic tradition so important? You know, in Paul's day, people who claimed to be Christians in Corinth, they began to deny the resurrection of Jesus. So Paul reminds the church in Corinth that what they'd been taught about the resurrection is the apostolic faith. That faith is not going to change. We can't change that. This is passed down, handed down from the apostles. And again, any person that veers away from this teaching is no longer living in the faith. And to deny the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus is to deny the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, you might be surprised to know that many in our modern day call themselves Christians, but they deny the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. You know, a very famous New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, he said this about those who deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says, I have friends who I am quite sure are Christians who do not believe in the bodily resurrection. And he continues, Marcus Borg really does, really does not believe Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead. But I know Marcus well. He loves Jesus and believes in him passionately. Now, how is it possible that a well-respected New Testament scholar could say something so ridiculous? Well, to take that position, he's got to believe that holding to the apostolic tradition about the bodily resurrection of Jesus is optional for Christians. But it's not optional for Christians. Now, Marcus Borg may love and, and believe passionately in a Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. It's a Jesus that he made up because he did not like the Jesus the apostles preached and N.T. Wright, well, he may be quite sure that people who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus are Christians, but the apostolic tradition handed down to the church nearly 2,000 years ago says otherwise. And this is why apostolic tradition is so important. Apostolic tradition is the referee that keeps us within the bounds of what is and is not Christian teaching and practice. And when we go outside the bounds of the apostolic traditions, we've stepped outside of authentic, historic Christianity. We're no longer following the real Jesus, and we should not claim to be Christians. So without apostolic tradition, theology is a free-for-all. Bible interpretation is a free-for-all. And one interpretation of the Scriptures is just as good as any other. And we end up where we are today where people can create a Jesus who fits their fancy and still call themselves Christian. But apostolic tradition was put in place by Christ in the church to guard the church from false teaching and false teachers who lead people away from the one Lord and the one faith revealed to the apostles by Christ. And that's why when facing false teachers in Corinth, Paul appeals to apostolic tradition and why he does the same in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Again, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Now, the Greek word for received here is the exact same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11. Remember, I already said that this word expresses the idea of being formally taught and accepting traditions that are handed down from an authoritative source. The saints in Colossae had formally received the apostolic tradition that Epaphras handed down to them about Jesus. And notice that Paul says the same thing he said in, in 1 Corinthians. The saints had to continue in the faith they were taught. Just as they had received Christ Jesus as Lord, they needed to continue to live their lives in him. Just as they had embraced the truth, they needed to hold on to it and continue to live their lives in line with that truth. And here Paul's talking about two parts of their salvation, the past and the present. So the word rooted in Colossians 2.7 is more literally translated, having been rooted. So when they heard the apostolic teaching about Jesus, when they accepted that teaching and were baptized into Christ, well, they were rooted in Christ. That's past tense. But being built up in and being established in the faith, both of those are continuous, continuous actions. Paul reminds the Colossians, just as they have been firmly rooted in Christ in the past, so now they must continue to cling to Christ and live their lives in him in the present. And to do that, they must continue in the faith as they were taught and not be led astray by false teaching that was not in line with apostolic tradition. And I'm sorry to say it, but overall, the, what, is, what, call, what we call ourselves as Christian people, we've become very sloppy with what we accept as true and false teaching. We let people like this, this Marcus Borg guy stand up and say things that aren't true, and then you got people who are supposedly a part of the church encouraging these kind, these kind of things. Now, to be fair, N.T. Wright did go on and say, well, he's in dangerous ground, but he, ne- he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say that he's not a Christian. What we need to say is people who do not do Christian things, do not promote Christian doctrine, are not Christian. Is it okay to say that? I think in our culture, people say, no, it's not okay to say that. You ain't got no right to judge those people. I'm not judging them. I'm using the word of God to judge them. That's what we all should do. And we're not out here trying to be mean to people. That's not the the idea. What we should do is make sure that we say the right thing so that people can actually be saved because the gospel that Marcus Borg preached was a false gospel. So the idea of apostolic tradition is is not to be led astray by false teaching that's not in line with the apostolic uh, tradition. Paul says the same thing again in uh, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. He says, Indeed, you were formerly being excluded and were enemies in the mind in connection with evil works. And this is a very literal translation because I want you to see something. But now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through his death that he might present you holy and without blemish and blameless in in his presence. If indeed you continue in the faith, having been founded and steadfast and not being moved away from the hope of the good news which which you heard. The word having been founded is the same, having been rooted. It's all the same thing. So Paul's talking about past and present salvation. So it's not enough to be founded or rooted in Christ by receiving the faith. We've got to stay steadfast in and not be moved away from the faith by false teaching. We've got to keep being built up and strengthened in the faith. And to continue in the faith, we need to keep being reminded of the true teachings of the apostolic faith, the apostolic traditions that were handed down in the church. And we need to be, keep being encouraged to practice the apostolic faith. And that is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of every elder or pastor in the church. The church exists for one reason, 
is to lead people to the Lord Jesus by teaching them to receive and hold to the apostolic tradition that Jesus passed to his apostles, who then passed that, passed that down in the church. The elders in the church have one primary task. It's to keep reminding God's people about the apostolic tradition and refute those who oppose it. As Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.9, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy messages he has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The elders or pastors have only one message, and it's the trustworthy message the apostles taught. And we're supposed to refute anyone who opposes that message. Now, we do it nicely, but we still need to refute people who oppose the message. You know, once you've been a part of the church for a while, you'll notice, you'll notice that you hear and do the same things all the time. And because people have been conditioned to come to church expecting to hear or see something new all the time, well, pastors feel pressured to come up with something new every Sunday to keep people excited about coming to church. People are like, you know, I've heard this before. We've already sang this song. He's already taught about this. People seem to get tired of hearing the same truths taught over and over again. But hearing the truths of the faith taught over and over is exactly what we should all expect to happen when we gather as the church. You should not come to church expecting to hear something new, but something old, something ancient, something tried and trustworthy and true. Pastors are not called to come up with something new. We're called to communicate the ancient faith just as it was, it was handed down since the very beginning, just as it was delivered to the saints once and for all. Pastors are called to teach people to receive and practice the apostolic tradition just as it has been there from the beginning. And if pastors repeatedly teaching the truths of the faith is not enough to keep people interested, if that's not enough to keep people in the church, well, let me just say it like it is. The problem is not with the pastors. The problem was with people coming to church, expecting the church to be something it was never meant to be. See, it's essential that God's people are repeatedly reminded of the truths of the faith. And the church exists as a place where people can come to do that. We all need to be told things multiple times. Did you hear me? We all need to be told things multiple times. We all need to be told things multiple times. See, when we read the scriptures, we see that the same thing is repeated over and over again. If you've ever read from the beginning to the end, you see it's repeated. stuff is over and over and over again. Why? Because we all need to be told things multiple times. We need to keep hearing the same truths over and over. We need to keep hearing them taught over and over and over so we can learn to recognize what is and is not in line with the faith that was delivered to the church 2,000 years ago so that we're not carried around by every wind of teaching so that we can be sure we're holding to the trustworthy message that has been taught from the beginning. So as we close, let me ask again the questions I started with. How important is apostolic tradition in the church? How important is apostolic tradition for our salvation? Well, we've seen today that apostolic tradition is the vehicle through which the faith by which people are saved is taught in the church. So the importance of apostolic tradition cannot be overstated. If we do not hold to the apostolic tradition we find in the church, 
we will not be saved. And those are not my words, those are Paul's words. Let me remind you again of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Receiving and holding firmly to the gospel, the the apostolic tradition, the word of God, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, well, that is essential for salvation. And that's why apostolic tradition is so important. That's why we all got to keep hearing this over and over and over until we know exactly what the faith is, until we're living this faith, until when somebody comes along and brings something that's not in line with that faith, we get the referee to blow the whistle and say, that's not it, can't go with that. And so we refute those who contradict the true faith. That's why apostolic tradition is so important. Let's all stand for prayer. Most gracious and glorious Father, we've heard your word today. Please give us an understanding that leads us to a more perfect practice of your will. Transform us through your grace. Make us more like you. Heal us where we need healing. Cleanse us where we need cleansing. Give us a a, a better understanding where where our understanding is lacking. Encourage the hearts of all your people through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all before they sing this last song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Still 